This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Whoop, the performance tool that is changing the way people track their fitness and optimize their training through a wrist-worn heart rate monitor that provides analytics and insights on recovery, strain, and sleep. Learn more at whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com and use code NOMEAT at checkout to save 15%. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to me Athlete Radio. I don't know about up on the mountain for you, Matt, but it seems like down here, spring has started to sprung. Spring has sprung. <laughs> yeah, is that what, that's, that's the vibe you're getting? I'm getting a little yeah. bit of that. I'm just getting some flowers blooming. Some some flowers blooming, grasses growing, people are out mowing. Yep. Even you know, I even saw some shorts this weekend. You know what I have seen a lot of? Baby farm animals, baby sheep, baby cows. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> to get to our house, you got to drive all that stuff. All kinds of turkeys. I haven't seen any baby turkeys, but definitely a lot of baby animals out there. And that always that means it's springtime. That. <laughs> That's funny, you know. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But I I've never, I I've never thought I mean, that. I think spring is when uh, is when they they fornicate, right? Isn't that when they make the mm-hmm. babies? And then I don't know how long I, I don't know how long a typical know. animal baby takes to to come out. I guess we're talking mainly about mammals here, but uh, how long do they take to come out? But it seems like the springtime is when they always when they start having new life, new flowers, new baby lambs, <laughs> baby lambs. I guess so. Yeah, and Any bears. Few, we have not had bears yet. I've seen bear sightings, or Aaron has told me about bear sightings that she has seen on Instagram and things like that. So people are saying they are out. So I am. I am on the lookout. Yeah, yeah. I think that they are out. I've seen seen some trash being rummaged through. Well, not being rummaged through the the. Remnants of a bear, yeah. Yep. Trash. Which means my running is over. All that is finished. Any, any, <laughs> you know, thought of a marathon or ultra is finished. <laughs> Driven just, indoors to train. Oh, no, jeez. I know. That's, yeah, it's too bad. It is. It's our place in nature, though. We're not meant to be out there with the animals. I don't think. <laughs> oh, oh, Matt, what are we gonna do with you? <laughs> But yes. No, but it feels the the energy is feeling like so. Katie is taking a gardening class this year. Uh-huh. Have I mentioned this? Did I mention it on I the podcast? You talked about your your gardening aspirations a little bit, but I don't think you've talked about it. Yeah. Class. Well, last year we like we planted a garden for the first time ever, really, like a true garden. Uh, and I would say it went okay. You know, what it went uh, as good as you would expect for people who have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and but we had a lot of fun with it, and Eliza had a lot of fun with it, so that was great. But this year, Katie has decided to take it more seriously. So she took, she's taking this eight-week class on gardening and uh, has gotten super into it. You know, of course, we're not planting anything yet, right. really, but we're pre- prepping ground and everything. And uh, <laughs> and the other day we went and she was like, I just need to pick up a couple tools uh, that, you know, I thought we had all the gardening tools that, um, you know, a, a man would need, but um, apparently we, we do not. And... Uh, there were some crazy Korean digging things. I mean, just like all these crazy tools with so many different names and things that like you. Could, I don't know. It was it was just it was really funny. But these tools are amazing. I will I will say that. I don't know why we do things the way we used to do them. Why most people use like the little shovel and all that stuff. <laughs> right. You don't need it. You have all these better, way better tools. This is how they started. This is how farms began doug and how it, it, you're going down the path it's pretty soon you're gonna have a factory farm you're operating 
It's supposed to be technology free. It's supposed to be out there on your hands. No, and no, no, no tech. No, there's no tech. These are all hand tools. It's still technology. Just well, just not okay. Computer right. chips. Fair enough. But <laughs> yeah, there's there. It's all tech. It's probably all uh, technology that is older than, um, you know, I don't know. That is very old. Right. Well, ancient ancient gardening technology and but it's all this stuff that i've never heard of before and so she's like showing me because they've been demoing demoing it all in class and she was showing me youtube videos of it hmm. the other day and i'm like man like weeding just looks so easy and fun <laughs> i could do this i could do this no problem that's funny yeah i guess that makes sense i don't know why I, you just sort of assume gardening is this like stuck in ancient times hobby right i mean don't, i wouldn't have even thought that there could be an improvement on the classic spade shovel or whatever there is but yeah but of course you can right it makes me wonder what, what other activities we can improve on if we just put our <laughs> mind to it <laughs> yeah no but i'm excited we're expecting a huge yield this year yeah that's good <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, how much did all the tools set you back yeah uh, more than i would think like how many years also. of food do you need to produce before you pay for those <laughs> yeah probably at least three three <laughs> or four years to, to cover all the new tools that's the problem uh, i i think gardening is awesome and i love when we have it, I, Aaron is the gardener in our family. I am not really, but uh, I love the stuff that comes in from that garden. But I, I always cannot, I, you know. I mean, it's just like okay, well, I guess it's worth it to be able to grow. Say we grow our own stuff and feel like we grow our own stuff. But like the cost of the soil and the all the stuff. I guess if you, you know, you're good and you can do whatever you do to your own soil. Mm-hmm. But we always buy all these things, and it just I don't know. Just yeah. it's, 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 there's a lot of a lot of money to be saved by doing your own garden. Maybe there's if you do it right or at, at enough yeah, scale. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you compost yourself, and uh, and so the other big the the like big thing this year is, uh, or that she's taken away that she wants me to do this year is, is something or us to do is something called double digging, mm-hmm. where you basically like have different microbiodomes inside the soil, and you don't want to mix them all up. You know, like you don't when you're when you're plowing, you like take right. dirt that's you know a foot below and yeah. you know kind of flip it and that kind of thing. You don't want to do that. So it's like all about this uh, way of removing different layers of dirt, putting it on like a tarp, mixing that yeah. up, and then putting that down. I mean, yeah, it's, it's super. It's <laughs> it's super time consuming. It looks. She was trying to explain to me. I was like, when when do you think we're gonna do that? <laughs> but I guess it's good for like five years. So we're gonna just kind of oh, yeah. do maybe okay. maybe half the garden this year and wow half the garden next year. Man, well, good for you. It's fine. I mean, I can appreciate a good new hobby like that. It's exciting. Yeah, it, it, I mean, definitely to see your own stuff get produced. That that is fulfilling for sure. <laughs> good, good for you. Well, everything good in the Matt Fraser world? Everything is pretty good. Uh, you know, kids' sports are starting to get more and more in, intense, and it's fun. Uh, no gardening yet. But I also appreciate things springtime. I like spring. Spring is, I, I think spring is my favorite season. I don't understand people who say fall is their favorite. I get that it's kind of nice when it, to see it, but it just, you can't beat spring, I don't think. I agree. There's, there's no more, there's no better joy than what spring gives you. Right. There's first days of spring after cold yeah, winters. Really. I, I agree. I, I think what people like about fall is that it's a, finally like the break before, after a hot summer. Yeah. I, but, I think it's contemplative season, right? You you go in, yeah. you see the leaves changing, you watch a little football. It's mm-hmm. cold. Bundle Get ready up for the holidays. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's like oh, it's not, no no things are dying. So how can that be good? Yeah, it's true. It's true. 
All right. Speaking of dying. Speaking no, of dying, we have an interview today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, we have a good interview that is with two friends of mine. I guess you haven't met them in person, have you, Doug? Giacomo and I Danny? I have not. No. No. Mm. So they are uh, Danny Taylor and Giacomo Marchese. And I've known them for a long time. I think I met them at the Boston Veg Fest or in Boston. I forget if it was at the Veg Fest or not, but uh, through Robert Cheek, who we talk about in the interview, who's how, actually how they met each other, which I didn't realize. Um, and they are both very accomplished bodybuilders. They've both won multiple first place awards. Um, Danny does figure competition and um, Giacomo does, yeah, I guess it's just called body. I don't, you know, I don't know. The, I was talking to people about the different classes of bodybuilding recently. And, and then we talked about it again on the podcast, but um there's like for women there's bikini competition figure competition and i never knew that these were just categories of bodybuilding i thought they were like their own thing but they're bodybuilding classes basically uh but anyway danny was a figure competitor i think she still is and uh has won some first places as has giacomo both certified in uh in the e-cornell plant-based nutrition course as well as uh physical or what's it called what's pt personal trainer certifications mm-hmm. and uh both really just knowledgeable. I, I've spoken on them several years at on the Vegan Cruise with them on their uh, the athlete panel. And, you know, I give my answers that are always the typical kind of like, well, you know, lifestyle, do what's, do what's easy, small steps, all that kind of stuff. And they also have that habit change, um, you know, orientation that I do and thinking how important it is to focus on that stuff. Otherwise, all the knowledge in the world doesn't matter. But they also have a ton of knowledge about it. Like they, they talk about you know, people who are in the, in the, in the audience were asking questions like about fasting for for bodybuilding purposes, which, by the way, is going to be a future episode of ours uh, on fasting. Um, yep. But it just, I, you know, they, Danny just had so much knowledge about that and how it could or could not be useful for bodybuilding. Like this sort of knowledge of physiology that I just don't have and, and won't ever have without, without having the kind of background they do. So um, I think they're really good. I really do think they, they know a whole lot about you know, tweaking nutrients and, and looking at macronutrient ratios and things, which we talk about a lot in this interview, um, to get to get results, which is, you know, somewhat different from our approach. And we say that that's more just like, you know, do do the 80 percent and let the let the or sorry, do the 20 percent to get the 80 percent of results rather than nerding out so much on everything um, to, to really get good results. So I, I think I really appreciate the differences in our philosophy, but we have so much in common as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been it's been fun to kind of work with them on this episode, and then also some other things we've been we've been doing with them that we'll talk about later, I guess. Yeah, well, but, the, um, we we did, I mean we made a new product with them, um, but yeah, the, but yeah. the free thing is is this macronutrient cheat sheet that they put together, which basically encapsulates everything they talk about here in the episode. They give a bunch of formulas and things like that. Um, if you go to the URL, Doug, you are the one who has the URL, um, so I will let you say it. But that's where you can go download the free cheat sheet that Jenny, Danny and Giacomo. Uh, put together for us. That's right. I am your go-to URL master, mm-hmm. and it is nomadathlete.com slash macro dash cheat dash sheet. So nomadathlete macro dash cheat dash sheet. Good. Macro cheat sheet. So yeah, go get that. Um, otherwise, enjoy the episode. I guess we have to, we should, not we have to, we want to thank our sponsor before <laughs> we get to that, right? Yeah, that's right. Let's... Uh, Let's do that real quickly and then and then jump right into the episode. All right. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Whoop, the performance tool that is changing the way people track their fitness and optimize their training. Whoop provides a wrist-worn heart rate monitor that pairs to their app that provides analytics and insights on recovery, strain, and sleep. 
That's what makes Whoop so unique. It helps you know when your body's recovered or when it needs rest by getting to know your nervous system through heart rate variability and quality of sleep. It even has a built-in sleep coach that looks at the user's day and previous sleep performance and provides optimal sleep times to ensure the user is fully recovered the next day based on their performance goals. Matt, have you have you been using that uh, sleep coach? I, I have, and um, I and used it a bit. Yeah, every time, like it would, I would be sitting, you know, doing something at like nine thirty, and this little notification would pop up and be like, "If you want, if you want to be rested tomorrow, if you want to be recovered, then you better go to sleep." And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like okay, <laughs> all right. It's like I'll your mom to... is there. I, well, it is, but it kind of it worked, you know. Like I was like, all right, I got to wrap up what I'm doing and get to bed early. Like it, it, I don't know, there's something about it. It's like your iPhone has, you know, like a little you can set sleep reminders or whatever, but. I just ignored those. Th- this one felt different because I feel like it actually knew it's a little coach, bit about right? me. I feel like it's a, it's a yeah. coach there. It doesn't feel like just some machine. Right, exactly, yeah. Whoop monitors heart rate 100 times per second, 24-7, to give you full insight into your day so you can optimize the way you train, and it automatically tracks workouts and gives strange scores that lets you know how strenuous training was on your body and see even more data like average heart rate, max heart rate, and calories burned. And there's nothing more satisfying than seeing like 8,000 calories at the end of the day. 8,000 calories burned? Yeah. After what? like a big long run or something. Oh, after an 11-hour long run? Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, I can yeah. eat anything right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you and Scott Jurek are burning 10,000 calories. Oh, and Michael Phelps as well are burning 10,000 calories a day. Yeah. <laughs> to learn more about the band, app, and insights, visit whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. And when you're ready to get started, use code NOMEAT at checkout to save 15%. Whoop. Whoop. Hey, it's Matt. Before we get to the interview, just wanted to give you a quick heads up. Uh, we had some technical difficulties with this one and actually lost my entire audio track from this interview. So I've had to go back and uh, do my best to replicate my questions, remember what I said, and uh, re-record those. So if it sounds a little bit choppy or even more awkward than I typically do, then uh, you know I hope you'll bear with me and uh, still enjoy the interview. Thanks. Hey everyone, Matt and Doug here with Danny Taylor and Giacomo Marchese, uh, two longtime friends of mine who are vegan bodybuilders, personal trainers, and co-founders of the uh, Plant Built, which is that the vegan bodybuilding team that you see competing all over the world, um, who I've known for quite a while. I think I met you guys back in Boston, maybe in 2011 or so, uh, but for all that time, I, I never had any sense that uh that Danny, you were a professional hula hooper your skype uh your skype handle gave it away yeah so uh when Giacomo and I moved out to Portland Oregon back in 2008 it was right after the big uh economy crash and jobs were pretty hard to come by um but I was hula hooping as a hobby so it's a it's like a circus performance it's kind of like a cross between dance and acrobatics but with a hula hoop so if you think of like gymnastics floor routines with a hoop kind of like that. And I was just practicing in a park one day and somebody asked if I would like perform at their kid's birthday party. And it turned out to be a pretty steady paying gig to work at different, uh, different celebrations and events, just hula hooping for people. And then that led to fire eating and some other circus acts. But yeah, that feels like a different life. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, okay. So you've actually eaten fire. I sure have, yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not great for the teeth. Uh, <laughs> so, like, what's the, what's the trick? Is it, or is there a, a fire eater's code that would prevent you from from revealing how it's done? It's pretty much what it looks like. There's no trick. You're literally just putting that fire out in your mouth. So, you know, at your own risk, I suppose. 
<laughs> wow, so professional fire eater yeah. and hula hoop. I, I mean, I knew people did hula hoop here in Asheville. They do it all the time. I see it at festivals and things. But like, I always sort of figure it's like kind of an ironic thing. Or I don't, I don't even know what it's what's going on. No, you, you're not going to the right. You're not going to the right <laughs> concerts, Matt. And, and it's very much not ironic. It's definitely a form of expression i think <laughs> yeah yeah it is and uh, it is huge actually where you live i remember even back in 2008 like that was the place to be if you were a hula hooper <laughs> really <laughs> yeah wow so i have learned something new about Asheville. i did not expect uh that to happen today but thanks for that <laughs> so i guess we should probably turn our attention away from hula hooping and uh towards something that uh, people are here to, to hear about which is plant-based bodybuilding, uh, building muscle, shedding fat, which since both of you guys have been involved in this sport for quite some time now and very accomplished in it as well, um, and, and also personal trainers, I mean, you guys know a ton about what it takes, particularly through food, which I think we're going to focus mostly on in this episode, uh, to change your body composition. So as a place just to jump off, uh, I mean, how did you get into veganism? Well, initially for me, I did it for health-based and performance reasons, and then getting into the community, I learned about the ethical side of veganism, and it just made sense to embrace it and, you know, become an activist. It was just the natural course for me, so that's how I got started. But yeah, for me, it was purely ethical. I didn't care about health at all. All of that sort of came as a side effect of going uh, completely plant-based. So did you just go completely plant-based overnight, or, or did you, like, ease into it? So I had already been vegetarian, so I hadn't eaten meat or, or, or fish or so I old simply because I saw a lobster get cooked and like as a young kid, like eight years old or so, and that made me not want to eat meat. But I had never heard of veganism. I didn't know anything about it, you know, so I consumed a lot of dairy, a lot of eggs. And it was just when I was doing a research paper in high school about vegetarianism, you know, the, it was like 2003, I think. So the internet was not what it is now. And I just sort of stumbled across a website that explained the connectedness between the dairy and egg industry and the meat industry that I already did not want to support. And I just decided to give up dairy and eggs and animal byproducts overnight without knowing literally what I was doing at all. I just knew I didn't want to support it. So where did you, where did you grow up? Uh, Haverhill, Massachusetts. It's like this tiny, tiny town right on the New Hampshire border. Was the, were your parents and, you know, I mean, was it, were, were your, was your family supportive of the, of a big switch like that? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I decided to stop eating meat, actually, I was about eight years old. And it was like this constant battle every night at the dinner table between me and my parents, where essentially it was like, no, you're going to sit there until your food's gone. Until finally, oh, I was like, well, now I'm just staying up past my bedtime. So, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so eventually, they just kind of let me stop eating meat. Um, but when I remember when I said, okay, guys, I'm not going to eat dairy or eggs anymore. They were like, my dad actually cried because he was like, you're going to die. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but, uh, yeah, no, not super supportive, but at 17 years old, you know, kids going to eat what they're going to eat at that point. Right. Right. So Yakima, were you, were you, um, you know, you said you, you got into it for performance reasons. Were you doing bodybuilding stuff already or, or what kind of, uh, exercise stuff were you doing at that point? I was. I started getting to, into strength training to be able to make it onto the tennis team in high school. 
Then mm-hmm. I kept up with collegiate sports. And then after that, I started wanting to do a bodybuilding competition. Through that, I learned about nutrition. And then I you know, also wanted to worry. I also wanted to think about my health and the health of my family. And people in my family were getting ill. And I said to myself, let me do some research. And all the evidence was pointing to going dairy-free and vegan. And, uh, and that's kind of what led me there. And so through wanting to help someone who fell ill to heart disease, I decided to lead by example. And then I decided to myself that eating more nutritionally dense foods and going plant-based, essentially vegan, right, would also help my performance in the gym. And of, of course, I was scared and I didn't know if that was going to work. But I ditched the whey protein for pea protein at the time. It was the only thing I could find. I'd scoured the internet back in, what, 2003? And it was so hard to come by. But I found a gentleman by the name of Mike Maller. And he had he was advertising pea protein. I said to myself, let me make this switch. The amino acid profile is the same. Long story short, I kept eating what I needed to eat, you know, in terms of food, uh, calorie-wise, protein-wise, all that jazz. And I just kept getting stronger and kept performing um, at a higher level as I continued to train. Yeah. I mean, I feel like now we we hear a lot more about bodybuilders and people, you know, just who have these massive muscles and do it on a plant-based diet. But, you know, this was, what, 10 years ago or something? I mean, I feel like back then it was probably pretty radical to to think that you were you were being able to do this on a plant-based diet and still get as strong and, and lean as you wanted. Oh, it was totally weird. People thought I was a freak. I mean, nowadays... <laughs> You know, there's tons of social validation out there. I think in large part that has to just do with the world being a little too connected. But also <laughs> I, I've seen a major movement, especially in the past five years or so. So it's nice that there's community surrounding veganism. Okay, so it sounds like then for, for Giacomo, veganism came after bodybuilding. And Danny, you you started bodybuilding after you went vegan. Or actually, I guess what you've always – I know what you've done is figure competitions from what I've seen. Is that like a class of bodybuilding? Yeah, so um, – figure competitions, bikini competitions, and then there's another category called physique. And they all, in my opinion, fall under the bodybuilding umbrella. So it's just different criteria um, for like what the judges are looking for. But uh, Giacomo had been bodybuilding long before he went vegan. And I, when I went vegan, I guess I didn't mention this before. When I actually went vegan, I was 210 pounds at uh, 17 years old. And by going vegan, like I said, I did it just for ethics. I really didn't give a crap about my health at all, but I started dropping weight. And it was the first time in my life I realized that what I was eating really was showing up on my body. Up until that point, I thought I just had bad genetics. And after I started losing weight, I started deliberately learning about nutrition, deliberately learning about strength training, not bodybuilding, but just how to lift weights. And Essentially, it was a trainer who told me that I would not be able to build any more muscle because I refused to eat eggs or have whey protein, that that's really what sparked my interest in sort of proving this person wrong. So it was almost out of spite initially. Um, But yeah, my actual competitive bodybuilding career didn't start till many years later, but the passion for Um, physique transformation through a vegan diet and weightlifting uh, started back in about 2007, 2008. So just a couple years after I went vegan. Do you go back to that trainer and send them like Instagram photos and stuff of you all the time? 
Actually, really funny story. Now we, you know, we live in a small town. Now she will sometimes send her plant-based clients to me because she is like, well, this girl proved me wrong. She knows what she's doing. So I'm going to send these people that I don't know how to help over to Danny. And uh, yeah, it's really come full circle. She definitely has a different opinion now. (laughs) Danny, I want to go back to you saying you had been overweight as a kid because we happened to speak on the uh, a panel discussion for vegan athletes at the Holistic Holiday Sea Cruise that we were all on um, just like two weeks ago. Uh, and there you said something that struck me, which was that you said your whole family was uh, overweight and that, you know, it was just sort of accepted that that's how you were. And you said this is you never really thought about it. You didn't feel badly about it. You just thought this is the way things were, um, which I think is really interesting because I think there are quite a lot of people who feel that way and have kind of just been trained by their parents that that their family is overweight or that they're big boned or whatever. And they just have this kind of built in excuse uh, that makes it okay. But, you know, when in fact, so much can be changed through your diet and lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, the vast majority of my family is not just overweight, but like morbidly obese, like very, very overweight. So even though, I guess, like growing up every year, you know, I would get heavier and I would get heavier and I would get heavier, like through childhood, through my teen years. But I just thought that was like kind of what happened when you grew up, like that it was just normal to put on 15 pounds every single year (laughs) from the time you're in elementary school all the way through high school, because that's what was happening to everybody in my family. So I didn't grow up with this like deep self-loathing of my body shape or anything like that, because I just thought that it was that that's just how my family was. So I was actually, I really was totally okay with it. This, this never started as a, I'm going to set out to lose a hundred pounds journey. It was just when I dropped dairy and eggs, I would say probably in three months without trying at all, without eating particularly healthy or nutritious food, just from cutting dairy and eggs, I ended up losing about 30 pounds in three months and didn't even notice it until I just happened to step on a scale one day. And I was like, huh, who knew? And that's when it started to occur to me like, oh man, maybe what we're eating really is what is causing our whole family to be this way. And when I started to think about the trends in my family's eating behaviors, you know, over the last 15 years or so, it really adds up like, no, this is not genetics. This is fully lifestyle based. Yeah. You hear that saying a lot that uh, the genetics loads the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. And I mean, that's, I think, more when it comes to disease. But but of course, you know, very related to that is uh, obesity. So, I mean, it's not, not to ever say that genetics doesn't play a role. Of course it does. Uh, but just that so much can be controlled by, by our habits and the lifestyle that we choose uh, to have. So let's go back to uh, to you guys together. When, when did you guys meet each other? Like, was it through a, at a vegan event or some sort of bodybuilding competition or something? Oh, we met through veganbodybuilding.com, actually. So Robert Cheek's site. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. Man, the world was just so different back then. There was, you know, Facebook was just becoming available to the public. Uh, MySpace existed, but it wasn't really like a way to make friends or anything. But both Giacomo and I were vegan and interested in lifting weights and changing our physiques. And I actually met Robert Cheek at the 2007 Boston Veg Fest. He was working at the Vega booth and he gave a talk and I went to the talk and I said, man, there are other people out there doing this. And I went to his website, which was mainly a forum 
So it was, I want to say like 3000 people or so all over the world, all vegan, all just kind of trying to learn how to build muscle and or burn fat on a vegan diet. And Giacomo was one of them. And he was the most friendly, supportive person on the whole <laughs> forum. Well, funny story about that. I, I didn't get into veganbodybuilding.com to be friendly or supportive per se. <laughs> or to meet meet your uh, partner. Well, not, not even that, actually. Robert uh, and I had connected on MySpace and I was looking for someone else who did the vegan bodybuilding thing. I thought I was a complete anomaly. And then I see him on MySpace and he puts me in his top eight. I'm like, oh, cool. We're friends. We're buddies. And then all of a sudden I, I disappeared from his top eight. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What happened? And I'm like, all right, I have to see what this guy's all about. So it was kind of like one of those friendly, competitive things. I was like, let me get onto his site. And and then I just realized, you know, I just did what I love to do, which is be a part of the community. And I, I found acceptance there and a way to connect with others. And then Danny and I connected completely by chance. And at one point she's like, hey, we're doing this, the the vegan bodybuilding thing is gonna, we're gonna be doing a meetup in Portland. Uh, can I fly out there with you? And I said, sure. And on the way down the whole while, her sister's like, you know, you really shouldn't be meeting strangers on the internet. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> because back then things were so much different, right? But we just had such a tight knit community. We knew each other so well because of veganbodybuilding.com and everything just, it worked out from there. Yeah. It is so funny to just think about and think back about how fast, how quickly things have changed. I mean, you guys are talking about not that long ago, right? 10, 12 years ago. Uh, I mean, no mean athlete, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary of the day I hit published on that first blog post. Um, and like back then, I, the, one of the reasons I started it was because I looked around, I, I was vegetarian or I, I was, sorry, I was a marathon runner and I was wanting to become vegetarian and I was looking for information about how to do it because I didn't want to mess up my, my Boston qualifying mission that I was on and, uh, couldn't find anything. Like really the things I found were just so not user-friendly and strange. It was like, wow, I can't believe there's nothing here about this. And then and there's so much now that has come since then. So, and the, you guys talking about how you met on a bulletin board, right? I mean, it just, it's, and I'm sure veganism or, or plant-based fitness is not the only niche where obviously where major, major change has happened like this. Uh, it's probably everything in the world has changed in this way because of the internet. But it's just so funny to think about that, you know, just, just not that long ago, it, it was not that easy to connect with people. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and what you just said about like it being so different, you know, 12 years ago, that's how vegan proteins started was you, people wanted plant-based protein powders and it's hard for people now to believe, but back then you couldn't find it almost anywhere. Um, so we started vegan proteins when it was just a store to sell vegan supplements, um, not because we're like huge supplement pushers or anything, just because there was no other place for people to find it. And we started it as a fundraiser and we just sold brown rice protein and Vega. And then when the fundraiser was over, we were going to shut it down and people said, no, no, keep it open. It's the only place I can find this. And that's how our store started. Now, you know, fast forward now, we can't compete in that regard with places like Amazon or vitamin shop because there's so many plant-based protein powders, protein bars, whatever on the market that it's kind of like the world didn't need our little vegan protein shop anymore. So we got <laughs> to just shift gears and do more of what we really love. Cause I mean, how passionate can you be about selling protein powder? I don't know. Um, but we really get to actually coach people now and help them turn their lives around. So it, but it is just so crazy how in such a short time, the world 
has changed so much, um, and definitely within veganism as well. Wait, so let me get this straight. You're telling me that Amazon drove a mom and pop operation out of business? Oh, I know, crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's talk about the pivot there and the and what you guys primarily do now, which is to actually help people build muscle or transform their body or whatever you whatever you want to call it or whatever that person needs, I guess. And, I mean, going back a little bit, I guess, to um, this idea that we're just naturally big boned or some people are naturally big boned and, um, you know, the diet doesn't necessarily affect your, your weight or your body type that much. Um, I mean, I remember growing up that thinking that like, if I wanted a six pack or if I wanted to put on muscles, it was all about like crunches and, you know, working out, you know, it had nothing to do really with, with nutrition. Uh, and of course now I know that that's not really true, but you know, that's those six minute ab videos that, um, you know, were popular in the, 90s and early thousands were, uh, you know, were pretty convincing uh, um, that it would work. You know, but but for you guys, diet is is very much a part of of uh, someone's body transformation and how you work with your clients. I'm sure that um, I don't know if you would say that it's a 50 50 split between the workouts and the nutrition or or what kind of split that would be. But why do you guys think that nutrition is so important? Well, I, I'd say it's even more so than a 50-50 split. I think nutrition is the majority of the uh, the majority of the equation when it comes to performance and when it comes to physique-based goals. You're you know you're dealing with wanting to change your body, not just performing. As an athlete, you know on the track or in the gym, you actually want to change your physique, and that's when it comes into really f- honing in on what you're eating and how you're eating, not just how nutritionally dense the food is. So we really encourage our clients and, you know, those that are interested in changing their body to basically pay attention to how they're eating, you know, keep, keep some sort of a food journal, figure out how and what you're eating. And then you have a baseline to go off of, and then you can start to really make changes. Yeah. And, and that, um, you know, I guess your philosophy is focuses mostly on macronutrients, right? So yes and no. Um, Our basic, basic philosophy really focuses on habits more than anything else, because you can go through periods of time where, you know, if you want to make a really intense transformation, you're going to have to pay very close attention to detail, depending on the person. Uh, If you're already pretty close to your goal and you just kind of need to get over the hump, you know, you've really hit that plateau that's giving you a hard time, paying attention to details like, how many grams of this, that, or the other are you getting in is going to be really helpful. But for the vast majority of people, you're going to be able to make great progress just paying attention to your daily habits. And I think that's why we get along with the no meat athlete uh, philosophy so well is although, you know, you guys are definitely on the endurance side of things and we're more on the strength based sides of things. I think we're kind of coming from the same place in terms of like, the biggest pieces of the puzzle are habits and general behavior change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is that is exactly why I think we tend to get along pretty well when it comes to these these um, you know how to make health changes and and despite differences perhaps on the surface about um, you know macronutrients versus micronutrients versus just saying I'm going to eat whole foods and that's it. Uh, I think we have so much in common there. I really like what you said about the the fact that for most people the just, you know, you don't need to focus on super specific things. You can get really good results uh, by just doing the simple things, by changing your habits and making good choices. Um, 
it's like that 80-20 principle, the Pareto principle that everybody seems to know these days, uh, that you get 80% of the results from 20% of the effort in, in a lot of different areas. Uh, and I believe this is one of them. But if you're someone, so like for most people, that that's fine, right? They'll, they'll take the 80% of the results for the 20% of the effort, and that is wonderful. Uh, but I do think, like you said, there are people who need more than that, who want that 100% of the results or, or you know, more than 80% of the results, uh, or they're at a time in their life when they need that, or they're dealing with some obstacles that require that. And that, for me, is the time uh, when you need to put more effort in and be hyper-specific about things. And I think that that includes things like really high-level performance in sports or trying to lose a lot of weight. Would you agree that that is the time to focus on macronutrients? Which, by the way, if someone doesn't know what macronutrients, what we mean when we say that, uh, we're talking about protein, carbohydrate, and fat, as opposed to things like vitamins and minerals and other nutrients that are in food. I think that it really does matter a lot in terms of physique transformation, like you just meant. I don't actually think macronutrient balance matters a whole lot for general weight loss, but what a lot of people don't think about when they're on any kind of a weight loss journey is they don't actually want to lose just any weight because you don't want to lose your muscle mass. There's lots and lots of benefits to having more muscle mass on your frame, uh, not the least of which that is that I believe after the age of 40, we lose 1% of our muscle mass every single year. So you kind of want to enter that 40s with as much as possible. Um, and when we lose muscle mass, there's a lot of other negative effects that come from that. So we want to lose weight, but we don't want to lose muscle. So mainly what we want to lose is body fat. And I think most people generally know this intuitively that they want to lose body fat, not muscle, but really they just get very motivated by seeing a number on the scale go down. And if we're not careful with our macronutrient intake, we can lose muscle mass pretty quickly. And we're still feel like we're succeeding because the number on the scale is going down. But not only is this kind of shooting us in the foot health wise, because we are losing muscle mass, um, but also we're not really ever achieving that look that a lot of people are going for. I know that when I first lost all my weight um, and I wasn't eating appropriately or strength training quite enough, I mean, I lost 90 pounds, but I looked the same. I was the same shape, I was just smaller. And that wasn't what I had pictured in my head. <laughs> when I initially had a goal weight of whatever my goal weight was, and then I finally hit it, I was like, huh, that looked different in my head. And it's because in my head, I had lost more body fat and had more muscle than I actually had. So manipulating macronutrients in that way can really help to sculpt the physique in a way that you want, that's going to be more indicative of what you want than just a number on the scale. Yeah, that is super interesting and and clearly something that is not like top of mind when when people are focused on weight loss because you just don't hear that much about about also changing your your body composition. So when we talk about focusing on your macronutrients, uh, are you talking about something that is universal or are we talking about specific ratios for different people? Uh, generally, I think that especially people who are looking to transform their physique in a way of losing body fat. I think a lot of times they try to go too low fat for their own good. Um, so generally increasing someone's healthy fats, healthy whole food fats, um, and also paying more attention to having enough protein to support their strength training. Um, and those two pieces are important together. It almost sounds like sometimes we almost feel bad being like, 
well, eat a little bit more protein because that's such a vegan stereotype, right? <laughs> to be sitting here worried about protein. And we're not worried about protein. No one's going to be protein deficient. Nothing bad is going to happen to somebody if they don't um, pay attention to this. But if you have specific physique goals, just, just making sure that you're getting enough to support your strength training and maintain the muscle mass you have is really going to help you transform your physique in a way that you like the way it looks a little bit more and also your performance either in the gym or on the track if you're a runner or a cyclist um, it's not going to suffer so I think it really comes down to first and foremost dietary preferences you know you're going to have some vegans that lean more heavily on you know say their seitan and tofu whereas other vegans are going to lean more heavily on their beans and greens and then once you start to break it down across the board, it doesn't matter whether you're a bodybuilder or a plant-based bodybuilder, you know, your protein requirements are basically the same, you know? I, I think that a lot of the, you know, bigger name, like you said, there's so many vegan bodybuilders out there now doing this. And I think all of them are eating more protein than the average person. Whether they're being super deliberate about it or not, I think really comes down to metabolism because there are some, you know, bigger guys out there, their metabolisms are just on fire. They can eat 5,000 calories a day. So if they're just eating beans and greens, they're getting tons of protein just because they can eat so much. Whereas a smaller woman with a slower metabolism might have to pay a little bit more attention to making sure that they're eating more protein dense foods to still sort of hit that amount for them. But pretty much every single vegan bodybuilder that I know of um, is eating more protein than the average person. Okay, but what about like an XYZ number that people can hear and take home and apply? Like, you know, this much carbohydrate, this much protein, this much fat. I'll give you an XYZ number, but it's still, it requires some math because like you said, like it is so different from person to person that it's hard to just give a blanket number. And it's like the way I just said about, um, metabolisms being so different. That's also why I don't just like to throw up percentage based macros, but I'm going to give you a, a loose, a loose one here. So approximately 0.7 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of lean body mass. So not per pound of body weight, per pound of your lean body mass. So 0.7 to 1.2 grams. Um, think, and then oh, sorry. Fats, sorry. Um, and then for fats, roughly anywhere from anywhere from 20 to 30% of your daily calories. And that really comes down to preference, but I wouldn't drop really below 20% of your calories from fat, especially for a female, there could be some hormonal implications there. And then all the rest of your calories would come from carbohydrates. So whether that's our a lot or a little would, that would very much depend on a person's metabolism, but still the majority of calories would be coming from carbohydrates for most people. Yeah. I'm happy to hear you say that because I think plant-based diets just seem to be associated with, uh, low fat, high carb diets. And, and that's fine. And I think they lend themselves well to that. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of plant-based doctors out there, not a lot, a few of them, uh, who are promoting diets with like 10% fat. And that just strikes me as really, really low, uh, especially for brain health. Uh, but also, you know, just like for, for lifting weights, trying to put on muscle, like it, it just seems to me like you need more fat than that. Yeah, we agree. 100%. Mm -hmm. We would, we would never prescribe that for anybody. <laughs>
I th- well, I think I think now is probably a good time to to say that um, we've thrown those numbers, or you guys have thrown these, those numbers into an awesome little uh, free guide that people can 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 download, uh, and you can get that at nomadathlete.com/slash macro dash cheat dash sheet macro cheat sheet right you are doug that is a really really great helpful cheat sheet uh to go get and you know go plug in your numbers plug in your specific things about your body your lifestyle all that stuff and it'll tell you you know how much you should be eating of each of these macronutrients uh so that you can do some sort of concerted effort right focusing hard on these things for a while um not not for your whole life as we talked about earlier but but kind of during any sort of push like if you want to go for say 12 weeks and and, you know really go for it um this would be super helpful for that um so go check that out but uh i want to know like you know as soon as we start talking about this start talking about specifics and focusing on things um you start thinking about food tracking and monitoring and you know it just starts to become sounding like a whole lot of work and a lot of like I don't know, just just introducing a lot of aspects to diet and eating that to me don't seem all that natural, right? Having to pay attention to every calorie we eat. Um, is this a, the type of thing that like, is it necessarily have to be, do you have to do that for the for an entire period of 12 weeks? Or is it something where like, you'll do it, you'll track maybe for a week or two, and then you kind of get used to it. And then you start to notice what most of your meals look like. And then it kind of becomes more intuitive. And you don't necessarily have to track every calorie after that. No, exactly. No one's saying you have to live a certain way when you're learning a skill over the course of 12 weeks. And there's no harm in honing in on that, you know, keeping a food journal for a week, deciding whether or not you want to do this sort of like four to 12 week um, experiment on yourself. And then you'd be surprised what you can take away from it without having to be detail oriented with your food tracking. Like you don't necessarily need to think about calories or macros or even portions per se, because you've focused on it for a couple of months or so or 84 days or whatever it is. And then you can, you'd be surprised, like you can take a look at a plate and just be like, all right, this is how I should build my plate without really thinking about uh, measuring stuff or, or calories, you know, but there's no harm in focusing on that for a short period of time and sort of studying uh, nutrition and running that running that experiment on you. Yeah, once you, it's it's really interesting. I, I do think there's a lot of value in doing this for a certain structured period of time because once you learn it, you can't really unlearn it. You just kind of, then it's just a skill you know going forward and it's something that you can employ whether you're conscious of it or not. Yeah, that idea actually reminds me a lot of, uh, of heart monitor training from running where like for a long, this was back in the, in the Boston qualifying days, I would, I don't know, went for three or four months where I wore a heart monitor for every single run and, you know, found it to be a lot of work. It sort of took away some of the, some of, you know, the enjoyable things about running to be actually looking all the time, monitoring what my heart rate was at that exact moment. Um, And so I didn't want it to be like what I did forever, but I found that doing it and focusing on it for a small period of time, it really kind of put that uh, that knowledge inside of me so that after that, I could sense when my body was changing heart rate zone because I had seen it happen and kind of correlated that to how I was feeling during my runs. Uh, and so the point is eventually, you know, you, you focus on something for a while and then eventually it gets to the point where it's, it's sort of just second nature to you and, and you don't have to keep doing it after that. 
Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a pain at first and it is meticulous at first. And you're like, do I really have to weigh out my peanut butter right now? But listen, if you've never weighed out one tablespoon of peanut butter, you're in for an eye-opening experience <laughs> to, <laughs> to see what that really looks like. And then once you know, you just, you just know forever going forward, you can know if someone, you know, gives you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever, you know, okay, this probably is closer to a quarter cup of peanut <laughs> butter in here than two tablespoons. And, and it's just something to be aware of going forward. Um, and that can be on both, you know, a weight loss journey, you know, to err on the smaller side, but also there's a lot of people out there who aren't eating enough and this can help them to make sure they're getting enough food to support their training. Yeah. When it comes to peanut butter, I don't think I ever struggled with that having enough. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. No. So, all right. So, so where does strength training come in? Cause I, I know you said that the, you know, the nutrition side is, is more important, uh, when it comes to physique training and, or physique transformations and that kind of thing. But, but surely strength training does play a part, play a role. So where, where does that come in? Absolutely. So in terms of building muscle, um, strength training, I think in, if the goal is just to get bigger and build muscle, I actually think strength training is more important than paying attention to macronutrients. Honestly, I think the diet is just supportive of that. Whereas in a weight loss or fat loss journey, the diet is more important. What you're eating is more important. And the strength training is supportive of that. Mm. But if somebody, for example, is trying to cut down muscle is very much so like, if you don't use it, you lose it when you're in a caloric deficit. So if you're not telling your body daily or, you know, frequently via strength training, like, Hey, we need these muscles because we perform this bench press twice a week, then if you're in a caloric deficit of any kind, your body is just going to burn whatever tissues it thinks it doesn't need. So dieting alone without strength training or resistance training of some kind um, means that you will likely burn through muscle tissue, which is one of the things that we're definitely trying to avoid on that journey. And likewise, in a muscle building phase, we're basically telling our body every time we lift, hey, we, we're, we're going to be pushing a lot more weight than our bodies can handle, like adapt, adapt, adapt. So it's very similar to endurance training. It's just on the strength training side of things that we have to constantly be, you know, coaxing our body into adapting into what we want it to do. Yeah. So if someone is going through, like, what does that look like in, in practical terms? If someone is going through one of your programs, if you're working with a client um, and they're focused on maybe losing fat and, and maintaining or gaining a little bit of muscle, like how much time are they, are they spending in the gym? You think? I think anywhere from uh, 30 minutes, three to five times a day, even as little a as week. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> a week. <laughs> 30 minutes a day, three to five times a week, depending on the person's schedule. I think there's this, there's this idea that, you know, once you want to get on your fitness journey, you have to do as much as possible and schedule be damned. And that becomes more stress than it's worth. And what it winds right. up doing is it actually hurts someone's results. So we're all about making, doing things in a practical sense, because consistency is ultimately what's going to get you to your end goal, not how hard you can push over the course of say three, four weeks and then burn out and then start again two months later, you know? And you yeah, get a lot done in 30 minutes if you're, if you're focused while you're there. So essentially you want to be 
uh, lifting an amount of weight that you can safely lift. That's obviously the most important thing is to be safe all the time. But by using compound movements that utilize lots of muscle groups at the same time, like a squat, a deadlift, a bench press, a pull up, things like that. Um, and lifting, I would say like one to two reps from failure is going to be enough stimulus to tell your body like, okay, we need to grow new tissues here. Yeah, that's great because I've actually tried just like telling my body we need to grow new tissues here and it just, it just never actually works. So uh, (laughs) going too close to failure is a pretty good idea. (laughs) When you guys say one or two reps from failure, you mean going up until you are, you know, you think in one or two more reps, you would fail. Exactly. Yeah. Because especially when you're training alone, if you're training alone, you don't want to be going to failure. Um, that could be unsafe and also going too close to failure too often can just leave you more fatigued than you can actually recover from. So I think one to two reps from failure is a safe place to try and stay in that area. And also that gives you an idea of how much weight you should be lifting. So when we talk about putting on muscle, uh, I mean, in my experience, that has always putting on a bunch of muscle has always come with adding some fat as well. And I know you guys coming from the bodybuilding background, uh, I believe this is how it's done that you, you put on a bunch of muscle during this, you know, the growth period. And then a few weeks before the competition, you do a cutting phase and you actually cut the fat at that point. Is that right? More or less. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty close actually. So it's like you go through a period where you put on as much muscle as you can. And unfortunately in the real world, that generally comes with body fat as well. If we could gain only muscle, that would be amazing. But there's usually a little bit of fat gain that comes with that. And then during the prep phase, you're trying to lose as much body fat as possible while maintaining as much muscle as possible. So then for a regular person, not a bodybuilder, uh, I mean, for me, you know, the fantasy is always put on the muscle while you lose the fat. Is that is that something that can actually be done by, by managing macronutrients? I think you can absolutely build muscle while losing body fat, especially like I would say your first six months to three years in the game, that's pretty much a certainty. And then as you get into the more advanced stages, that's when you're talking about needing to gain more fat to gain more muscle. But in a practical real real world sense, there's no reason to have to gain an excess amount of fat to gain muscle, and you can very well do both at the same time, meaning lose body fat while gaining muscle. Yeah, and strength training. If, you've, if you're if you brand new to strength training, if you've never really done any resistance training before, you could build a significant amount of muscle and lose a significant amount of fat in the first year without really without having to get too obsessive over the food at all, just paying closer attention to what you're eating and just strength training, you can have some pretty significant body composition changes without necessarily seeing the scale move a whole lot, but the way you look and perform will change a whole lot. Right. That makes sense. So the one thing we really haven't touched on yet, and we've kind of just implicitly assumed this whole time that, that vegan bodybuilding is, is normal, right? Like we, we talked about that earlier, but like, it used to be a really strange thing, the idea that you could be a bodybuilder or an athlete at all uh, and eat a vegan diet. What, from your perspective, is the truth about that? I mean, is is eating a vegan diet a disadvantage for bodybuilders because you have to work harder to get calorically dense foods and maybe you'll never actually get the, you know, the amount of calories that someone eating an omnivorous diet would? Or could it actually be an advantage? Like a lot of vegans, especially in other sports like endurance sports, uh, would say that it is. And what I mean there is like, you know, for me, I used to be eating brown rice and chicken breast when I was getting into running. And I thought that was exactly what I should be eating. Uh, and then once I started 
becoming vegetarian, I started eating all these fresh fruits and vegetables. And that, that I really think that had a big difference on my performance. So I've coached probably uh, definitely over a hundred vegan athletes to the bodybuilding stage. And what I have, um, noticed is first of all, bodybuilding competitively, competitive bodybuilding is hard. It's really hard, whether you're vegan or you're not, no matter what, everybody's grinding it out at the end. But what I've found with the vegans versus the non-vegan competitors that I know is one in a restrictive diet, which is what prep is at the end. Like when you're very close to a competition, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's very restrictive, but the vegan people are able to eat such a wider variety of food than the non-vegans. Like you mentioned, Matt, like the chicken, the brown rice, maybe a vegetable, like the vegan athletes seem to be eating tons of colors, lots more volume. So lots more fiber. So their digestion is more regular. And I think because they're getting so many micronutrients, their recovery is a lot better than their non-vegan counterparts. So no matter what, it's still really hard. Um, but I don't think that being vegan makes it harder. I actually think it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, that is definitely exciting to hear. I mean, that's, that's been the story, I think kind of right when I began Nomad Athlete, I didn't, wouldn't say I knew that, but I started to learn that, uh, from reading Brendan Brazier stuff and you know, just starting to see how my own performance changed. Uh, yeah, but I just think it's, it's been something that has been an endurance thing, right? Where the, the, there's an advantage in those sports to being a little bit smaller, to not having excess weight, at least, even excess muscle mass. Uh, it's only recently in the past maybe three to five years that I've really started to see the change uh, or that same mentality um, being talked about in strength and speed and quickness sports uh, like bodybuilding, like you're talking about, um, but even also things you know like MMA fighting or, or some of these more mainstream professional sports like NFL or NBA and things like that. Guys, it has been a pleasure to have you on here. I really, really appreciate you sharing your insights with us, not just in this podcast, but also in the free downloadable PDF that Doug mentioned. Uh, Doug, can you give us that URL one more time, please? So you can get the you can get the the macronutrient cheat sheet at uh, nomadeathlete.com slash macro dash cheat dash sheet. And, uh, and like we said, there's, uh, all the calculations there along with some basic guidelines and then, um, a really nifty little tool for you to be able to, uh, quickly reference how many macros are, are in a lot of common foods. That's right. Thank you, Doug. And thanks once again, Giacomo and Danny. Uh, if people want to hear more from you, obviously they can go to veganproteins.com, but, uh, you guys even have a podcast too, right? We do. It's called Muscles by Brussels Radio. Awesome. Well, I think it goes without saying that we would appreciate being guests on there sometime. Absolutely. I hope. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for having us. We really appreciate it. 